Thank you for tuning in to Tech United on Tap, brought to you by Tech United New Jersey. You're listening to a special episode from our Propelify 2020 series, and you can find more episodes like this on our website at techunited.co. That's techunited.co. This talk debuted at the fifth annual Propelify Innovation Festival in October 2020, where our mantra is to propel ideas into action. Enjoy it, and be sure to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. With me today is James Altucher. James wrote an article called New York City is Dead, Here's Why. And I don't think he expected quite the reaction that it drew. So we're going to talk to James about what he's learned in that experience. James, thanks so much for being here. Aaron, as always, I, I super enjoy what you're doing with Propelify. I think the first time I spoke at Propelify was 2016, and it was such a pleasurable experience. I really enjoyed it. Thanks once again for asking me to be a part of it. Thanks for being here. I, I want to point out, James, he's, an, he's a, a hedge fund manager, he's an author, he's a podcaster, he's an entrepreneur who's founded more than 20 companies. He's published 20 books. He contributes basically everywhere. So if you don't know James Altucher, find him on your, your social media platform of choice and, and follow along. I promise you will be inspired. Certainly people will make you think about uh, uh, you know, topics in a, in a new way. It's one of my favorite things about having you on, James. I also want to point out, you know, our event is about bringing people together. And in fact, at an event that was related to Propelify, James met his wife. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. She you and I were doing a, a, a chat on stage and then afterwards um, sh- she had my book. She wanted me to sign and we started talking and uh, a year late we became friends and a year later we started dating and eight weeks to the day after we started dating, we got married, which some people would say I'm insane, but two years later, we're, <laughs> we're very happy. Some people might say you're insane and have not, and not, not be thinking about <laughs> that story. Yes, <laughs> Let's let's talk about this reaction to your article. How many how many shares did it get? How much how much reach did it get? Well, I would estimate that overall, thirty million people. And and I'm not I'm being actually conservative. Thirty million people around the world either read the article or read parts of it or read a summary of it or read a rebuttal to it. I mean, I you don't get to choose your listeners. I wrote it basically for my friends. But uh, Rush the next day, I was surprised. Rush Limbaugh, who I don't know him. Rush Limbaugh read the entire article, 5,000 words, word for word on his show. Glenn Beck read it on his show. I was on MSNBC. I was in CNN. I was on Fox. It was Democrat and Republican. I don't mean to imply it was, there was no political bias in the article, but it just so happens these people read the article. And then Jerry Seinfeld, a few weeks after that, wrote a very strongly worded rebuttal in the New York Times. It was his first article he's ever written. And it was about 10 days later, Jerry Seinfeld wrote an entire page in the New York Times about my article and me. And I mean, how did you, you know, being on the, on the other side of Jerry Seinfeld, I'm sure it didn't feel awesome, but were you, did you, was this a badge of honor or was this, did you, like, what, what did you feel like when you first read this? Was this like, oh my God, this is awesome. Or what a, what a disappointing response. I thought what a disappointing response because nobody likes to be, first off, he didn't really address the issues in the article, but I, I, I respect his energy for New York City. I have the same energy. We're, we're actually on the same side, which is I say in my article, I love New York. I don't want it to be dead. And, and I, the, the title, by the way, was New York City is dead forever. Here's why. I think the forever part uh, really triggered a lot of people. And I was just pointing out there's a serious economic issues that New York City's leadership and, and people don't seem to be aware of. And I'm a New York City person. I'm 
fourth generation New Yorker. I've lived in New York uh, all my adult life and grew up around there. And but no, people seem to be in denial, which is why I wrote the article. And and you know the key thing of a of making an article viral is don't just write ten ways you can be more grateful today. Think of something that is bothering you and address it and address it with facts. Nobody could really, I mean, people do argue with facts, but it's hard to. And so I was, I, I had spent months really astonished at the increasing problems I was seeing in New York City. And I was struck by how much people were denying it. Like, oh, New York City has got grit. It always survives everything, 2001, 2008. And I kept thinking to myself, no, I was there in 2001, 2008. I was there in the 1970s. It's different. It really is yeah. different now. Just like all of those times were different. And I just wrote an article expressing what's different. And, and for the first time ever, I always say to myself, don't hit publish on an article unless you're afraid of what people will think of you. And the thing I was afraid of is this is maybe the first article I wrote where I did not have a solution to the problems I was presenting. Like I couldn't figure out how New York City will dig itself out of these problems I was presenting, which is all the more reason why I wanted to write the article. So maybe people smarter than me could figure out solutions. So I wrote it and I realized it got a lot of people scared. Like if you own property or if you had a job or if you couldn't leave New York for various reasons, you would get very scared about what I was saying. Like I heard from people later who got really depressed or who backed out of deals to buy or rent an apartment. And, but then the next day, you know, again, Rush read it, uh, Glenn Beck read it, CNN had it, Aaron Burnett talked about it, uh, other people talked about it. And I started getting all these media requests and more and more people were sharing it. Again, probably about 30 million people I estimated. I mean, just from the shares on my page, it, it looked like 10 to 20 million people. And um, the reaction was so strong and so hateful. I mean, even Jerry Seinfeld, who, like I said, has never written an article in his life, decided this one time he would write an article just trashing me and not addressing <laughs> the issues in the article. And of course, this is an easy way to go viral is when all these celebrities are trashing you. Everyone wants to read the article. But I think what happens is, if I was to almost make it a formula, find something you really care about. I mean. Some people accuse me of just trying to be controversial. That is a horrible way to go viral. Nobody should ever use that approach because if you do that, then people just are, are going to stop paying attention to you. You have to you have to really pick your spots. And I was very concerned about New York City. And so it was controversial. I presented things that never had been presented before. I presented problems that had never been written about before. Now they've been written about by every media outlet, including outlets that have trashed me. They now, you know, months later, they, they uh, uh, agree with me. But uh, uh, so, I, so I moved the envelope a little bit on knowledge about New York City. And, uh, and then there was all these responses. And I made the mistake initially of trying to respond to all the responses. And what, what started happening was everybody who's ever had a grudge against me in their entire lives also decided to write an article like, well, I have a thing or two to say about this article after all. I'm the ex-fiance of, of the writer. And, you know, so they would you know, write these articles. And the main thing is, is that pick an area that's really bothering you that nobody has really pushed the envelope on. Push the envelope with new information. Make sure you address in your article all the possible arguments 
against your article because you don't want to leave any holes open for people to say, well, he didn't address this. And so yeah. you have to always address the, the arguments against you. You also have to uh, point out, uh, uh, you know, sources for all your facts because you want to make sure no one can say, well, he didn't source any of this. this these are not true. And you have to have something new to say. And then, uh, look, everybody, everybody has a strong cognitive bias who lives in New York City. Like, you, your brain tells you, well, I live in New York City, so it can't be bad. And so then you feel like this gut reaction. You've got to respond to it. And everybody outside of New York City, they have a cognitive bias also, which is, oh, I don't live in New York City, so he must be right. So yeah. I, I triggered this huge cognitive bias for people. A similar thing is if you tell people don't go to college, that's a huge cognitive bias because you spend so much money and so much time in college, your brain won't allow you to think that he's right. So you have to trigger a real cognitive bias. And those are like the basics of going viral with something. And you have to tell a story. So I interwove yeah. my factual article with my own love affair, lifelong love affair with New York. So telling a story draws people in emotionally. So you get their emotions. Did you learn, you know, of these 30 million, you know, uh, people who saw the article and engaged with it, how many, you know, what did you learn about society? How many people give you some negative pushback and how many are still doing that now? Well, let's say out of 30 million people, 95% of the people I, I, I got, I, didn't, I don't want to say I got feedback from 95%, but uh, I would say 95% liked the article because, because it, it was true. Like, I just had facts that I presented. In fact, I know it's true now because every media outlet has repeated many of my arguments, usually without referring to me at all, because why refer to me now? And, uh, uh, but also, I just got a lot of positive feedback. And, but then people move on. People who are positive just move on with their lives. They're normal, sane people, and they move on with their lives. But when you take 5% of 30 million, that's a million and a half people, I did hear from every single one of those million and a half people, and they violently hated me. I got death threats. I was told, if we ever see you in New York City again, we're going to, like, you know, hang you. Um, people, uh, people vandalized my, the, the comedy club that I'm a co-owner of uh, and, and wrote in big chalk all <laughs> over the place. Like the owner thinks New York City is dead. Now this comedy club is dead. Uh, wow. you know, people tried to get into my apartment building. Uh, uh, people harassed uh, uh, you know, people working with me who were wearing a shirt that said the James Altucher show. People would harass them. And wow. uh, family members who have the same last name as me, including my children, people harass them. And so it was a little bit scary for a, a second. But in general, what I learned was is that, you know, I viewed this as how, how can I make this work for me? It's very painful. You, you can't help but you, it's so easy to say, oh, I don't really care what people think about me. I don't think that's really true. I think everybody does care a little bit. I care. And so it was very painful at first, particularly when people I knew and loved were trashing me. And I viewed it as practice for building a thicker skin. And I hope I did build a, bit, a thicker skin out of it because I don't want to be afraid to write um, articles that are meaningful to me. Not necessarily controversial articles, but articles that are meaningful to me. Because you're going to have, if you, if you push the envelope, if you say something truly new and you do everything I say, like answer all the objections, trigger a big cognitive bias, you will have a lot of people hate you. Like if I write an article right now, which I'm considering doing, why I'm not going to vote, that's another big controversial topic and and triggers a lot of people and and i know that will engender a lot of hate people because 
people on both sides will will they they don't they don't want you to vote they want you to vote on their side <laughs> so if you say you're not voting that means you're against them and so that's yeah. that, you know that's another controversial issue that i'm i'm thinking of do, do you have any regrets about having written this article no not at all because what ended up happening was i do think this is one of those articles where it wasn't like people um it wasn't like people learned something from the article. It was that my article actually changed behavior because people read the article. So de Blasio had a press conference uh, where he pointed out my article and then he pointed out Jerry Seinfeld's article and he said, thank you, Jerry. And then Cuomo sent out an email to millions of people pointing out my article and then thank you, Jerry. But I will say uh, in New York, you know, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio hate each other, and maybe it was the first time in, in years that I brought them <laughs> together on something, and maybe that encouraged them to solve some of the problems I pointed out, so that to, just to prove the haters wrong. They viewed me as a hater, even though I'm a lover of New York. I think maybe it got them thinking, but it also got me access to a lot of high-powered city officials to present my own solutions uh, and, and issues and find out what they were thinking. And that disturbed me a little, too, because what I found out is that no one has any answers for the short term problems. Uh, and so that was disturbing to me. But, yeah. you know, I do think there are potential solutions, but it's going to be very, very difficult for New York City. And, and the main point is, is that the talent and skills that New York City has spent a century acquiring has have now dispersed throughout the rest of the country, which is good for the rest of the country. But New York City is going to have an enormous tax revenue shortfall next year and that's going to mean worse conditions worse less police less teachers less healthcare workers no garbage collectors less you know transit authority workers and that's going to have a cycle less people will want to move to new york then less businesses will want to move and so how you get out of that death cycle i don't know and i think that's the a big problem for new york and i hope i hope new york solves it just for my own sake i mean you did say that part of the issue that people latched onto was the forever component of this article do you still believe that, I mean, is New York City dead as we know it forever? That holds yes. true? I mean, New York City is a physical piece of land. It's not falling into the ocean. But the New York City we know, and, and some people try to respond, oh, James, the New York City you know is dead forever. Um, but that's not true. The New York City we all know is, is, is dead. And, and I've been in New York City dirt poor many times. I've, I've come up from nothing in New York City over and over again because I would go broke again. And... Uh, I, I have friends from all corners of life in New York City. I mean, 50 years I I in New York City. And so I was really speaking for all the New York City that I've known for decades. And I do think that New York City is dead forever. I think it doesn't mean there's not going to be opportunities in New York City as, as prices come down over the next 10 years. But the New York City we, we know and love as, as, as is permanently different now, as is the USA that we know and love. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but parts of the USA are going to benefit from the flight of good capital, good skills, good talents out of New York City to Nashville, Phoenix, Denver, Miami, Austin, Dallas. You know, and there'll be still 8 million people in New York City. It's just going to be it's just going to be different. Yeah. You know, the, you're, you're speaking later with Anthony, Anthony Scaramucci and. It, it, part of the headline there is the future is what we make it. And that's not just because entrepreneurs build things, but also that he was propelled into the limelight with a very different experience of the media, but not dissimilar from the kind of attention that you got, maybe broader and more, more national, international. But what opportunities did this bring to you? you know, he was able to lever that into a variety of other opportunities that he, I've heard him say many times, you know, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be a household name 
if not for that experience. And he's, and he's been able to, to capitalize on it. Has this brought you any opportunity? You know, have you capitalized on the, the media attention that this article has brought you? You know, that's a great question. And I would say the answer is not really. Um, because I think the most vocal voices, again, if 30 million people like something and only 5%, um, you know, and only 5% hate it, and you hear mostly from the people who hate it, it seemed to everybody who was seeing the response that it was mostly a violently angry response. So it's not like, I don't say I lost any opportunities, but I don't think I really gained any opportunities either. I gained a few followers here and there on various platforms, but nothing, I would say I have more name recognition now than I did before, but I had name recognition before. Um, I, I would say for a brief moment, I had my 15 minutes of fame and it really wasn't that pleasant. I'd rather just be, I'd rather keep my head down and, and work on, on positive things. But I don't think it, I, I don't know how I could have capitalized on it more. I, I really was, I, and I did think about it. Like, you know, my podcast downloads are already pretty good. I don't think they really went up that much. And nothing went down, but nothing like took me to the next level in, in that yeah. sense. And, and also, I don't want to be known as the New York City is dead guy. I have bigger messages I feel about. It's just that this was an issue that was bothering me. I kept hearing like, oh, what's going to happen when 3,000 restaurants go out of business? And people would say to me things like, oh, well, new young people will come in and finally start the pizza restaurant they would always start. And I'm like, why would they do that when the, all their competitors went bankrupt? Like, who? nobody's going to take that chance day one. And, and yeah. commercial real estate will fall apart as a result. And then it turns out many more restaurants than 3,000 are going out of business. So I was getting frustrated. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hear you. And by the way, I do think, you know, we are Tech United New Jersey producing Propellify. And I think a lot of those, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in New Jersey for that, uh, you know, more, more square footage per employee in a workspace, more remote work options. So, you know, I, I think that there's, there's upside in this, but we've got to figure out what the right future looks like. Why might you not vote? Or are you definitely not voting? I'm definitely not voting. And, and look, I don't think I, I despite what everyone says, most people are just kind of mouthpieces for the media. Despite what everyone says, the two candidates are really not that different on the issues. They're, and I bet you most people cannot even tell me their actual political philosophies that are and where they're different. And I, I think it's sort of like uh, I'm either going to vote for the Gambino family or the Corleone family. Like, why would I do that? Instead, I, I do have a voice. People say, well, if you don't vote, you know, and, and people fought for centuries to vote. You're just not voting out of privilege or whatever. No, I, I actually have my own platform and voice. I'm able to say what I think instead of just outsourcing it to a candidate I don't believe in. And I do many things. You know, I'm, I'm co-founder of a company that makes uh, non-lethal weapons for uh, law enforcement. So I, I, my company helps save lives every day. I uh, am writing a, a book with Charlemagne the God from The Breakfast Club about... Um, you know, issues relating to systemic racism. So I have my own platform and my own ways to express my opinions. I don't need to vote for a candidate to, to save me. None, neither of these candidates, and I, I don't say they're good or bad. It's just that they'll, they have, they're not as important as people think. Better to focus on personal development and being creative and solving the problems of society than arguing all day long on Twitter and Facebook about you know, who's a fascist and who isn't. So, you know, I just, I guess I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that you having just gone through this experience with so much vitriol pointed in your direction. I think the bigger issue, at least for me, 
is the cultural shift, or, or maybe you don't agree with this, but I think that, that the, uh, the rhetoric has changed and the ability to, to attack people like you has changed. So I think people, I agree with you. I think if you ask people about policy, they can't really tell you what's going on with China or anything else. But when you, you know, from a leadership perspective, I'm a little surprised that you don't, and I think, you know, based on my question here, you, you won't be surprised who, uh, who I dislike in the equation, but, uh, and, and I, I'm not shy about, about having a hard time with Donald Trump. I'm surprised though that you wouldn't latch onto the, the leadership issue. Yeah, no, that's a good question. First off, I don't think the, the president, the president does provide some moral leadership to the country, meaning, you know, I think the, the um, arguing is related to the fact that part of Trump's leadership uh, philosophy, and again, I'm sticking to philosophy rather than the person, but part of Trump's leadership philosophy is to be a unilateralist. So he unilaterally makes decisions and forces them through. And I think that engenders a lot of hate in society from people who, who disagree with him. And so I don't like that. I feel like uh, everybody, everything is more polarized than it's been in a, in a very long time. Not in forever. We've been more polarized before as a country, certainly. I mean, a great example is 1860, but there's other times too. But I also don't like the fact that um, you know, I don't like a lot of the issues that, that Biden represents. I, I don't like the fact that a big part of Bidenism is no Trump. And I don't think you can vote for someone based on the fact that they hate someone else. And so even though I might agree philosophically with a lot of Biden issues, I also agree philosophically with some of Trump's issues. I just don't like the way both of them are representing leadership. And what this article has taught me is that local leadership is much more important, much more important. Local leadership will affect your daily life. National leadership will rarely affect your, your daily life. Like when was the last time, Aaron, a president of the United States has affected your daily life? Well, just to go down this road a little, I think it's the issue of leadership and what the, the power of the office. It's my view that if you were to be wearing masks more, we'd have people, you know, more lives saved. I think it sends a message. We had people who actually did ingest bleach because he suggested it. So I, I think that I'm not voting for or against him because of that, but I think it's the power of that office. It's not just unilateralism, but it's that it's empowering people and sending a signal to people that they should or shouldn't do certain things. I think there's a, a responsibility that comes with that office. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. And I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to defend uh, Trump here. I'm really more just defending uh, the fact that I don't want to vote. I, I really wish I could vote for somebody who was like us, just like smart or, or maybe smart, but rational, common sense people who know how to build consensus and lead. And I'm not convinced, neither leader, ni neither candidate has convinced me they are that leader. And I feel like a vote just sort of encourages the system that is pushing forward leaders like this who I think neither are, are qualified. And yeah. I'd, rather, I'd rather vote for Kanye West and vote for the birthday party. And that's just a joke. But, uh, uh, you know, again, I think 2024 will be a different story. I'm hoping there's a lot of good younger candidates who have great ideas and there are people I feel I could be in a have a coffee with and actually talk to. And, and I want to vote for a leader who, who really will lead the next generation. I feel this is the last election of this old school style of political thinking. And so... Uh, and people say a, a non-vote is a vote of, you know, for the, for the worst candidate. I don't really believe that. And I think a non-vote just means I'm more focused on 
What can I do to improve society? Every individual has so much more power to improve society than their vote. And this is, and the more individual and local you get, the more power you have. So de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, has a daily impact on my life. And, and as opposed to Trump or potentially Biden, as opposed to Obama or Bush or Clinton. Now, Bush would have had an impact if I went to war, but I, Clinton had zero impact on my life unless I was paying, you know, not paying sales taxes on internet transactions. And, uh, you know, and again, I'm, a non-vote for me allows me to say, look, I think we can have a better system and I am not impressed with the system that we have now. It's certainly not a vote of, one, uh, it's, a, a non-vote is not a vote, as some people would suggest. It's, well, it is. It's a vote for, can we please have a new generation of, of leadership? And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm with you on that, and I hope I hope you're right about that for the future. We are out of time, James. Thank you so much for being with us today. So you know, a lot of provocative thought, and I want to lean in on the last piece that James mentioned. You know, locally, individually, we can do so much more. Take ownership of that. This conference is all about how to propel ideas into action. Make sure you do those exact things. And, and Aaron, can I mention what you're doing with New Jersey and inspiring an entire you know technology scene, entrepreneurship scene. You have done more single-handedly for a local area, New Jersey, than any possible vote for any candidate could have done. I mean, there's no New Jersey governor who has really, you know, been a shining light of leadership, you know, in the past 50 years. I'm talking all the way back to Brendan Byrne in the 70s. <laughs> and I'm not criticizing the governor of New Jersey, but uh, it's an important state being a valuable suburb to New York uh, City. But... Uh, you know, what you're doing individually, you taking action and saying, we need a entrepreneur scene in New Jersey. That's what's created impact, not any one vote. I, I really appreciate that. I, I know big, there's no I in teams that there's a lot of people who help make this happen, but I, I do appreciate that, uh, that recognition. So thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Let us know your favorite takeaways on social media at We Are Tech United. Stay tuned. More of Tech United on Tap next.